Just as a reminder, you can visit us at thepandapod.com. That's thepandapod.com to grab our RSS feed, listen directly, and share PandaPod with your family and friends. You can also reach us directly via email through podcast at thepandapod.com. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Panda Pod. I am Jeff, and I'm here with my co-host, Wiggy and Rab. Hello. And we also have our guest today, Tim. Hello, hello. Hey there, Tim. Tim's an old friend of ours, uh, and he's recently gotten into streaming on Twitch. Mm -hmm. And I've been really impressed with how quickly your your viewership has, has popped up. Yeah, thank I don't, you. Man. I don't know that I've seen many people get a, a sub badge as quickly as you've gotten one. Mm, yeah, it's been really encouraging, man. It's felt very natural. Right on. Um, what made you want to become a streamer? What like prior to that, what were you doing? So that's an interesting subject, and it goes a little bit further back to that. So for me, as I'm sure many people can relate to, many people who are neurodivergent, it's difficult sometimes feeling a sense of agency. And how common is the story of being in a job that might be promising, might be stable, but leaves you feeling no massive amount of fulfillment. And in terms of streaming, uh, that was an element of fulfillment that I was seeking, but also it was an element of feeling just agency and control in my life. Uh, So I had a job, career going great, no problem at all. But overall a drive to do something that supported other people uh coming from a person who faced a lot of mental challenges in life and physical challenges uh wanting to go back to the areas that i was in when i struggled and the kind of headspace i was in when i struggled and find a place to support or find a way to support people uh the kind of people that i was when I was younger and when life was very difficult. And that's what streaming was for me. And it was the goal of making a community, no matter how small, no matter how minuscule, even if it's just one person, uh, where I can have a space where they can take refuge and where they can get some entertainment and relief uh, if they're not being given the opportunity for that anywhere else in their life. And that's basically about the size of it. Right on. And so that's something you found in Twitch streaming, like watching streams previously? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a really interesting subject because I've talked about this with a lot of people. And the phrase that really stuck with me is you guys all, I'm sure, watch varying degrees of Twitch yourselves. Yeah, for sure. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. So Twitch tends to gather people together or attract people naturally who... Uh, how do I say it? I've been disenfranchised from life in a way. Uh, you get people who use it for entertainment, but a lot of people will get drawn into communities because it can be one of the primary means of socializing that they have in their life. 
Um, and that can be for someone who's neurodivergent, uh, someone who's depressed, or people who are physically disabled, you know, who aren't able to get socialization and community in real life. And it's a really good means of that. And, you know, you can talk about the parasocial aspect of Twitch and there are downsides to the setup, but the better sides of it is that it gives people a huge amount of community in a way that they can access on their terms and often in a way that they can't get anywhere else, you know? I'm actually really super excited to hear you say this stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, it's super interesting. And just going back to right in the beginning when you were talking about, it was really hard to find that thing that kind of gave you purpose and kind of gave you fulfillment. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what this is for me. Um, Mm -hmm. The same thing was happening to me. Like I have a fantastic career. Um, I don't worry about anything, but there's something missing. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that's like my, like I have a wife, I have a kid, everything else is great. But, mm-hmm. for, but just, just, there had to be something that was just, you know, deep and meaningful. Yeah. And so to hear you say that, and that's why you found what you found is really, it's inspiring for me, um, you know, and that you were able to create a space for people where they're able to just find camaraderie, you know? I mean, it's, it's, it comes back as well to that feeling of agency because what we're talking about when we have something like that, that setup, like life's going great. Like I've got a wonderful job, like in marketing, it's really promising. It's really stable, but the idea of having agency over something is the feeling that you have the the power and the ability within yourself to direct the course of your life. And when you feel like you don't have agency, it doesn't matter if you've got a, a good job, you get that hollow feeling of things not being right and you not being in the right place in like a really low resolution way, which is kind of like this really nasty thing. It's like this ambivalent kind of like low resolution background feeling that you aren't quite doing the thing you should be and that you don't have the ability to steer the course of your life, you know, to direct your life. 100%. And and that's a really hard thing to deal with. And then for me, the idea of I want to do something bigger than myself and also have community or create community is a really cool thing. But like, how the hell do you start that? And I was thinking, you know, I feel on some level, I'll probably end up doing something different from this down the line. But you know, something bigger or something that doesn't involve the platform or something completely different in the name of wanting to find out what I do in life that's fulfilling and helping other people. But if you don't have a sense of that agency, it seemed like a really good idea for me to go back to something that was manageable and tied to the things that gave me all that relief when I was younger. So like doing this has been been something that I've been able to fit into my life fit into my career and it's on a kind of like smaller kind of humble scale but the cool thing that's happening is that when you do something like that when it's tied to something that was really meaningful like uh, your childhood or things you struggled with there for me 
and it's something I can do remotely. It's tied to entertainment, all of that stuff. You can start to build up that sense of agency. And I'm sure you guys have that like, oh yeah, we're making a podcast. I can do this. And then maybe it leads in time for you to do other things and bigger things. And it puts you on a path of being able to have that sense of confidence and agency in your life. So it may be, you know, that down the line, Twitch isn't the thing I stick with, but it's been the thing that has started to take me from that low resolution feeling of this kind of sucks, but the thing that I want to do is really big and hazy uh, to actually having a sense of like movement and ownership over your life. Yeah, I have to say that's really powerful and you're very good at um, coming up with an eloquent way to you know, narrate your inner thoughts, I guess, your, and, and, and like cover some deep thoughts. I was curious, like, is that a part of your persona? I mean, not, I don't want to say persona, but like your, the way that you, you speak to your audience on the channel. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't, I don't know what to put it to. Um, I've had that feedback from people like already. I think it's just really deeply tied to what my interests are. I don't really know what to to say in response to that, to be honest. But uh, part of the the thing I wanted to do in the the small community I have, it's like tiny, but it's been so beautiful seeing it like pop up. When you go to having like regulars, you have a server, you see people talking to each other instead of just to you. You have that come through. But uh, we've already had you know the people on my. Uh, community, which I'm proud to call it, um, having some pretty deep chats, talking back and forth. Just today, um, I was on a, a small stream I was doing, had some really intimate discussions, and yeah, it seems to sort of drift in that direction. But uh, I guess I don't really know how to specifically answer what you were saying. Sure, I mean, I think that is a good enough job. Yeah, right on. I think that from the moment I met you, and most people won't know this or listening, but Tim lived with me for like six-ish months. Is that right? Uh, it was three months exactly because I didn't uh, want to have right. to apply during the Trump era to get a visa. That's right. That's right. Uh, that nerve-wracking um, O'Hare airport arrival where they stuck me in the secondary screening room. Mm-hmm. Well, I one thing I've, I've known from you from the moment we started talking is that you're a like instantly vulnerable individual with people like i i at least for me i never got a sense that you were shying away from telling me what you wanted to tell me and you're really yeah. good at finding ways to say things that need to be said hmm. um, in uh el- well, i mean eloquent ways is a great way to put it um like y- you find difficult things difficult topics and great ways to explain them to people and hmm. I know from watching your stream the the times that I have that I see you opening up to people in that same way. Um, mm. And you also have a very like easy way of communication with you. Like it's so easy to hold a conversation with you. And that's a, mm. that's a great skill to have. Um, and I, something I really appreciate about you. I can definitely see why that would be like uh, a big drawing in your community, you know, when you're open Mm. and vulnerable with people and are willing to, you know, share and be real, you attract those same kinds of people. Mm. And I'm not shocked to hear that's happening in your community. I think it's going to be a, 
a really tight knit family once it gets going there. Yeah. Well, that's, it's funny you say that because there's a bit of a wrinkle and a challenge to that sometimes. And, uh, it's awesome to do Twitch and to want to create that space in that community. But one of the really big lessons on a broader scale I had recently was finally clicking on the difference between openness and vulnerability. Cause I am a really intellectual dude and it's not a brag, uh, that means a really specific thing to me nowadays. Um, for people who are interested in psychology, people who have had traumatic childhood experiences and difficult early lives can often come across as really intelligent intellectual. And what a lot of people don't realize is that intellectualization can actually be a traumatic response. It can be something that you can develop into and get really into philosophy, really into figuring things out. And part of the thing that I wanted to do in Twitch helping people was um, helping the kind of person I was when I was younger, which was super into philosophy, super into this and that, super into the idea of fixing myself. And it was until, it took until recently to realize that there's a big difference between openness and vulnerability. And it can be a bit misleading sometimes because if you lay everything out on the line at first. Um, what you can find yourself doing is being open when you think you're being vulnerable. And being open is leading with and being really easy talking about the shit you've already processed. Uh, being vulnerable is showing all of the raw stuff behind it. Right. And for somebody who's had a very difficult life, you spent loads of time intellectualizing stuff instead of feeling issues. And it can make you in a place where you can really easily lead with loads of stuff. You've thought it out to the nth degree and it can look kind of impressive and it can be quite compelling. And people are like, oh shit, this person's being really vulnerable. But in actual fact, that person spent untold hours and days intellectualizing some challenges to the point where they can quite comfortably talk about really deep stuff. And it can seem like vulnerability when in fact it's openness. So as much as like I do talk about things pretty well, um, that difference is a really profound one. And it also sort of touches on what's really appropriate for a stream, right? Because you can lead and set the tone for a community and people will pick up on that. But sometimes you want to try and draw the line between, is it right to be vulnerable? You know, is it right to share too much? you're the person who's steering a conversation. Like, do you really want to guide something down a certain level? So it's a whole interesting subject. And I appreciate the compliment. And I think generally speaking, you know, I'm not too hard on myself, but it's a very interesting wrinkle between those two things. And particularly on Twitch, where you're trying to toe the line between what is appropriate and healthy, instead of letting it all out. The difference between those two things is a really important one. I think uh, I might need you to be my therapist. <laughs> my therapist I, said I should be a therapist. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. You, you called me out a lot there, personally. Um, I super I did that all the time, dude. And when I realized the difference between those two things, I was like, oh, shit. I've been doing uh, that. <laughs> the only thing that didn't stick was the whole, they wind up being intelligent. Um, <laughs> yeah. Other than that, you got me nailed. Can't all be perfect, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, so question about your stream, right? Yeah. So, 
how how much time are you spending now? How much time did you spend when you started? And and how much time do you think you're you're go- extra time you're going to be putting into it? Ah, uh, well, see that that's actually a a super interesting thing for me because it was it was just on my mind because I talked about the idea at the start when we started talking about being stuck and not having agency and shit. Um, do you guys use potty language? Oh yeah, Chris, as much as you want. <laughs> this, is, this is a very explicit podcast. <laughs> yeah, so no agency, you know, um, stuck, uh, can't steer the ship, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then lo and behold, something comes into your life which you feel empowered through and is working really well. And uh, so my uh, my therapist um, used to be a Buddhist monk and I do a lot of spiritual stuff, um, kind of drawn in that way. And I use that kind of language and that's how I like understand things a lot. And uh, one of the big things about that is attachment, right? So you can form attachment to things. And even if something's good, it can still be attachment, which can be a problem. And so you go in my case from, and I've, I've only been doing this for like two or three months now, but you can go from feeling like you don't have much control and agency, something really good comes into your life. And then what do you want to do? You want to invest more and more of your time into making it bigger, making it more successful, making it faster and putting more weight and energy into it. And so my schedule is already pretty full on. Like I go 6.30 to 9.30 and I do it every day. And, uh, you know, a couple times I haven't made it, you know, that's fine. I haven't done it. But generally speaking, every morning for three hours just before work and on the uh, weekends. And so just recently I was finding myself doing it in the afternoon as well. And then I was like, "Ah, hold on a second. Like already doing it that much in the mornings is pretty full on already. And like, when does it cross the line of being a good thing that is an awesome like schedule in your life? to being something that you can get really attached to, which can end up compelling you to put more time into it than is good. Like to me, doing it every morning is awesome because it keeps me on a schedule. It stops me from doing things like drinking when I shouldn't be drinking. It keeps me accountable to other people. But then if it's, it's kind of like this double-edged sword because you've got this thing which is really cool and it makes you feel like you're empowered and you're doing something, but then pouring too much time into it at the cost of other things you could be doing in life can become like an attachment thing. It can become unhealthy. So I was just thinking recently, like I want to do these art things. I do miniature painting. I want to do that as well as games, but is it really healthy for me to do more than once a day already? Like, is that crossing the line of it becoming something that has a bit too much gravity in my life compared to other things that I should also be doing, you know? Yeah. That's interesting to me because I think, I think you're right. And not to mention it, whatever community you have, they don't have 24 hours to mm. join you too. Right. Like they, it's good for them to have, to know that, you know, your schedule, right. That you're reliable at this time, you know, and that they have a good three hours with you, mm-hmm. you know, and with other and with other other viewers in your community, you know, 
That's really interesting. I like the idea of trying to fight viewership FOMO by really controlling how much you stream because that's like a boon to them as well. You know, you don't want to take up too much of your people's time, but mm. you know, somebody you can get really attached to a streamer and you don't want to miss like something good that happens, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a, a kindness on the streamer's behalf to, to keep a, a regular tight schedule. Mm. Also to consider Tim, like you were talking about, I mean, your own, you don't want to sacrifice other things in your life and you don't want to sacrifice your mental health. Um, because you're doing too much, you know, because then the impact that you can have on people in your community is less, um, because you're, you're spread too thin. So I think, I think you might have it right, Tim. I think, Mm -hmm. I think you got it right. Well, it's it's also, sorry. Yeah, go for it. No, you go for it, Jacob. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm furiously scribbling out, uh, my notes about how to improve this podcast. One of which being release 18 episodes a week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought you were saying scribble down notes on your life. <laughs> Reevaluating your life. It's completely unintentional, but I feel like every time we have a guest on the show, I I take little nuggets from it about how we can improve our relationship with this show. Like mm-hmm. Timmy just mentioned the whole like not ruining it for yourself by, you know, overworking it. And Mm -hmm. we have been talking a lot recently about about how to make, you know, grow the show, how to reach more people, things like that. And it can get to the point where it gets a little like taxing on the um, like excitement you feel. Yeah. Or the thing itself, you know, worrying about how to get the viewers and and keeping people interested. But, you know, I, I think it's a better idea. And this is something that we've come to a conclusion on as well is just to, you know, be consistent, you know, consistently put out episodes, consistently do our thing. And, you know, we'll, we'll bring in the people that are supposed to be here. So, yeah, well, it's diminishing returns as well. Right. And the, the cost you're paying can be a lot of imbalance. That's what I was uh, driving at. You know, for me, this is something that is already ticking over and doing really well and already a positive part of my life. And it's, unhealthy to want to accelerate the process by doubling down and you know and then it becomes that thing about the attachment where it's like you've taken something that has empowered you and put you on a step towards other things that you might do and has improved your life and now because you have that attachment to what it's giving you that you didn't have before you want to invest more into it but you're really doing that to improve the podcast or are you really doing it because you now have something that you didn't have before that's giving you some purpose and it's, it's a really hard thing but a really important thing to keep in mind it's like why am i doing this am i doing this now to uh create that little space or am i doing it because it would really suck if i lost or didn't go all out on something that has finally given me the ability to feel like i have the control to do stuff in my life you know yeah, that's interesting. It's acting from a place of fear versus a place of enjoyment, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been battling that with the podcast recently. Like it's kind of like Jeff said. Every time we get somebody on, we get a little bit of a little nugget of of something insightful. And and like you were saying, we we had spent like some extra time and you know we did decide like you know it's we just need to cool off what we're doing is working Mm -hmm. 
you know, we should try new things every once in a while. But what we're doing is good. So we need to stay and maintain and just just be us, right? Yeah. We need to not lose sight of the reason why we started it, which was just to hang out with people that we like, right? Yeah, um, yeah for sure. And you can you can watch yourself when you make that decision and you can just keep an eye on yourself emotionally and mentally and be like, when you put that boundary in for yourself, just notice what you feel. Like, cause I noticed for me when I said, no, I'm just going to, you know, keep this consistent. I don't have to double down. I shouldn't because there are other things I should be doing in my life, which might be harder to engage with. And then, you know, all of those things. And you say that to yourself, you might get a little tug, you know, and a little emotional tug or maybe even a sense of panic, you know, having to limit something that could be really good. And again, I'd say that's all like a, an attachment thing. It's like it, it can quickly, when you have something good and new, it can come to represent more than it really is. And you have a, a tug and an urge to throw yourself into that. But it's like, you said, what were you, you doing this originally for? To like talk with interesting people. And then it's not so much like a paranoid thing, but it's just very healthy to check in and watch yourself when you're thinking about what you should and shouldn't do. Because if you do keep a close eye on it, when you're feeling those emotions, you can be like, oh shit, yeah, I'm actually doing this from a different place now. You know, the desire to do it more coming from a very different place to when I started. And that can especially true if you've got other things in your life like other goals and other things that you want to do that are even harder. Like I've got plenty of other goals and things that are very difficult to engage with, very scary. And when you get one thing that's good, and I think the internet element is part of this, I've got one thing that I can do at home. And mm -hmm. in the past, I've typically been a pretty avoidant dude. Um, if I've got something that is easier to engage with on those kind of levels, and then it's good. There's even more of a pull to go all in on that. And then you're saying, am I doing this to do that little community? Or am I doing it because I've got that like sense of safety and that agency coming in and I can pour myself into this, which might even be me avoiding other things that I should be doing that have nothing to do with this. I really like what you said about, you know, listening to your body and, and listening for that tug. I've been um, I've been a fan of this idea of called human design for a while now. And my human design is I'm a manifesting generator and my response mechanism, like how I'm supposed to like listen to my body and how I'm supposed to make good decisions based on my human design or whatever is I'm supposed to listen to my gut and only respond to things once I have a clear understanding of what my gut's trying to say. Yeah, and I've been trying to play around with that idea a lot lately. And so I've been doing some research into it. And like one thing I saw was just like infographic on it. And it was like, you know, ways to tell when you're like ready to respond as a manifesting generator. And it's like, um, you know, a no in your stomach feels like a tight contraction, you know, mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be tight. It can be a slight contraction, even that slight, you know, squeeze is worth listening to you know yeah. investing within yourself but you know a good you know a positive a yes is this like big expansive feeling inside of you and, mm -hmm. and so i'm trying to when approached with decisions you know when i have a decision i have to make i'm really trying to be better about sitting 
with my body and feeling that and trying not to respond as much as hard as that can be, because I'm usually someone who likes to respond immediately to things. Yeah. But taking the time to listen to my body and feel for that, I'm definitely feeling like more positive about the decisions I'm making, both the yeses and the nos. So I mm -hmm. think that's that's really good. I like yeah. that you're listening to your gut decision, and that doesn't mean, you know, immediate reaction. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, your, your gut, sometimes it is immediate, you know, sometimes you do get that tight squeeze. And like another one of the things in the infographic was like saying nope or I'm out of here, things like that. Like that happens to me pretty frequently where I'll hear something and my immediate reaction without even thinking about it is just to blurt out nope or no thanks mm -hmm. or something like that, you know, and I need to be cognizant of those as well, you know, because that is a very immediate response. But it's those more gentle responses that, you know, take the time to, to sit there and think about it. I'm like, OK, you know, this doesn't feel quite right. Why is that? You know, I need to explore that within myself. Yeah, that's huge. That's the really important thing to do. You know, it's funny. I've of, uh, often thought about other people in my life I've known who are very assertive or who are very, um, had that kind of immediate, super strong connection to their gut in a way that just seems so natural. I've known a few people like that. And it's been interesting thinking like, viewing myself as a person who is not that because that's traditionally been a thing that's been very difficult. And then realizing that you have the opportunity in anything that's important and any decision to make to take a moment to take a breath and then do exactly what you just said. And then the answer is always there. It might just be that you're the kind of person who needs to say, hold on a second, give me a second to tune into myself instead of being that snap decision person. But if you allow yourself to do that and you cultivate the ability to do that and you can start with really small things, it's like, do I really want to drink right now? You know, like a tea or coffee or food or something, or, you know, is, is that my body saying that I want this or is it a pull related to something else? And like learning to cultivate that awareness and a bit more of a sophisticated way to sift that over time, you can become a person who is always available to access that. It might just tip you yeah. be that you're a person who needs to take a few moments to reach that decision. But it's interesting thinking about people who seem to be really in tune with that and uh, seem to be able to recruit it immediately because I've never really felt like I've been that person. But yeah, it's also been really like empowering realizing that all I need to do is tune in and that I can get better at that. You know, Right, yeah, because it is a muscle. Like, you have to work it out, you know, like... You have to train yourself to do that. I think the people that are really good at those snap judgments were, I really do think that has to do with like conditioning while raising, you know, mm -hmm. they just had either the kind of parents or the kind of, you know, adults in their life that promoted that, you know, sitting and thinking about, you know, okay, is this really what you want to do? And, you know, practicing that in yeah. your life, it gets easier and easier, you know? Yeah, I think, yeah, you're right. It's a, uh it's training and like if you have a childhood thing then you could be set up in a way from your family or your life that's like that i remember talking with my brother about a guy he knew he was a guy from the streets and he was incredibly in tune with himself like immediately could make snap decisions immediately go to action you know immediately trust judgment and instinct and it's like no wonder like you've grown up in an environment where that's how you live and succeed right 
yeah. you know, but yeah, you can say like you can co cultivate that as an adult consciously, or it's something that is given to you or put upon you in your earlier life, right? That development. Yeah, I think there's there's two different there's two different things there, right? Um, one growing up, I I see you can see these like snap decision type people. Um, and a lot of, a lot of those types of people were the, like the leaders in a group at school, right? Like you're doing a, like a group project and somebody wants to take over, like they're confident, mm -hmm. right? They're, they're, they're very confident in their abilities to begin with. Right. And then there's people who I think were closer to what, like what we were talking about earlier, where you you really need to take some time or train yourself or um just be able to recognize over time that maybe you're not the smartest one in the room but maybe you really do have input that's important mm -hmm. and and now you've got me wanting to go back and practice my Zen Buddhism um, <laughs> <Right on. laughs> because, because what I found when I was doing it and, and the hardest thing about this type of process is, is like kind of letting the thoughts bounce off you. Right. And only sticking to the, the thoughts that were important, right. To explore them um, in meditation and, mm. and it's so powerful um, I don't know, ever know why I stopped, but yeah. I think I might have to hop back into that one, Tim. I think you convinced me. Yeah, man. I, I can't, it seems to me that I can't live, uh, any other way, you know, yeah. which is funny because I know that if I'd say that to my therapist, he would say, ah, so you've got a form of attachment about it. And I'd be like, oh, you <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> I just feel like you need it, don't you? Be like, oh, yeah, shit. Let's examine that fear. Of yeah, you. right. Fucking <laughs> like, like judo move, like Buddhist judo move crap. That's always true. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it is true. Yeah, I had a point just then, but I've uh, forgotten what I was going to say. I think it's also important to point out that listening to your gut isn't how everyone makes decisions either. You know, yeah. like there. And I'm going back to human design, but regardless of whether you believe in the astrology of it all, like it makes some really good points about how different people, you know, respond to things. And I, Tim, I want to get your birth information later because I do want to see what your human design is. I think it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, like, uh, what you yeah. Know, um, I'll type it to you on the uh, Discord. Yeah, right on. Oh, I don't care if people, if somebody likes me enough already to reverse engineer my date of birth from a human engineering thing, then. That would it. be a feat. The math on human design is ridiculous. I know I've tried to build it in chat GPT. It's too much work. I, I want to talk a little bit more about your stream. Mm -hmm. um, so we've kind of talked about why you got into it and, and what you're doing it for. Um, is there a specific method into like the games you've chosen or do you just play what you want to play and people hang around for it? Um, what's your, your kind of process around that? No, there, there is actually, so it's tied to the, the kind of things I, I played as a way to like take refuge when I was younger, because I talked about being a really avoidant person 
And, you know, as so many people can relate to, you, you play video games to get away from things. And we've all been stuck in World Warcraft for three years at least. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> and so I would play really challenging games, like super hardcore games like XCOM and um, Battle Brothers, which I know, Wiggy, you've played, right? Yeah. And um, things like that. And it was a obsessive interest with really hard things playing it in the iron man mode where you don't reload if something goes wrong and then doing the same sort of games over and over and over um almost like a well ocd is the wrong thing that's like commonly misattributed right but obsessive is a good word um to the point where i knew the game inside out and had you know in some cases thousands of hours and stuff and going back to those things and then taking that knowledge and that uh understanding of it on that you know insane level um and then taking that from something that was a bit like shameful uh, and a bit sort of signifying of a time in my life where i was avoiding things and then using that knowledge to stream it to people in a way that's interesting and entertaining like oh we're going to play this mod on the hardest difficulty and i'm going to be able to talk about it at length you know i'm playing xcom i know this map i can talk about 20 different times a campaign failed or i can point out a tile where something went wrong five years ago you know that kind of thing and then taking that and then kind of in a way transmuting that you know that shame or that uh attachment to that part of my life where it was difficult and it was kind of like a coping mechanism and then turning that into something that's entertaining and gives a community to people and is tied into all of that good stuff is actually a pretty deep thing for me so it's been all of those things that i did when i was younger which is like turn-based games hardcore challenges and i do want to do the art stuff like the miniature painting as well and talk about mental health and creativity and maybe start interviewing people while i do it but in terms of the games, it's been all of that stuff which I was doing as a way to cope when I was younger that I developed all of this expert knowledge in and then turning that into something which entertains people and is part of that positive stuff instead. Yeah, so I think the thing that you're really you're really hitting on is something that I've noticed a lot with with media right with so whether or not it's it's podcast or twitch or whether or not it's youtube or whatever it may be people gravitate towards authenticity mm-hmm. and everything that you're doing is focusing around yourself and your own needs mm-hmm. and your own desires and i think people feel that even over the internet, I think authenticity is the thing mm-hmm. that people can they can really get a judge on. Um, and I think that's what the real key to success in doing anything like this is. It's just being mm-hmm. yourself. Um, and I think you're doing a, a great job at doing that. Um, and, that, and I think that's that's why you have you've had that that quick success. You know, you're also engaging people in something that you're genuinely interested in and they can feel that yeah. um and and i think that's 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 your key right there so don't change doing that um, yeah for sure i think that's a, that's a really powerful thing to do if you can take something that was attached to that negativity and then change it into something good that's an amazing thing to do 
And it's also symbolic because on a deeper level, when I was younger, I was more avoidant, uh, more struggling. And then growing up into a young adult and a you know fully grown man, those difficulties and the lack of success in air quotes overcoming them quickly can build into a sense of shamefulness. And then t- going back and... Uh, and you grow up as an adult and there can be a tendency for us, especially people who have been into nerdy things to push away and to say, I'm grown now. Uh, I'm not going to do that thing anymore. Or, you know, I'm not going to paint Warhammer models because I'm a grown up now. You know, that was play. You know, I'm a grown man now. I need to get the job and, the, you know, the family and this and that. And, you know, there's an element of truth into growing into responsibility and maturity and stuff. But going back and embracing those parts of yourself that needed to do uh, certain interests and things or needed play, you know, play through playing a video game or play through painting and playing a tabletop game and saying that that is still a part of you and then embracing that part of you and then sharing that with other people is a super important thing to do. And it's not lost on me that that's what I'm doing. And it's not lost on me that I'm starting to feel a sense of that success and that agency by, in a way, going back to the kid that didn't get validation and approval and was nerdy and playing video games and doing that kind of creativity and art, and then saying, no, that's still me. And I'm doing it today and I'm owning it and I'm showing it in my own way and I'm sharing it with people and it's working. Like, it's not lost on me that that, that is a process of, uh, embracing yourself in a way that was pushed away before and doing it in an authentic way like you just talked about, right? I love it when my friends get together and talk about alchemy and healing their inner child. Like, <laughs> this is such good stuff here. Like, transmuting those negative past experiences into, yeah. like, positive energy and then disseminating that out to other people. Good stuff. Yeah, man. That's how it goes, right? You you heal where you've hurt in the past, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel that. I feel that now. You know, when you were talking mm-hmm. about not, like, you know, feeling shame for doing one thing or another or, you know, mm-hmm. practicing avoidance by doing those things. I mean, that's that's the story of my life, right? Like, mm-hmm. avoidance, is, avoidance is the one thing that I am... Uh, yep addicted to you yeah, me too. me too and you know in the, in the past I, but i also found the one thing that i love to do whether or not it was gaming or whether or not it was you know role playing on tabletop or um any anything really it was just i really liked just hanging out with people i really like to hang out with mm-hmm. um and talking about whatever um and and that's what what we're doing now. So yeah. Yeah. so I mean, being able to find that thing, and you know, uh, I I I have this thing where when I was a kid, I feel like I was, or when I was younger, I was really fun. And then I grew up, kind of like you're saying, you know, I got married, I got a kid, mm-hmm. you know, the job, I'm taking care of the bills, but I I felt inside of myself that I stopped being fun. Um, (laughs) but when I'm hanging out with you guys, I feel plenty fun. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel, I feel like a fun person. So, 
Tim, I don't, I don't know why you came on to be my therapist today, but I'm <laughs> glad you, I'm glad you did. I'm gonna charge the shit out of you, dude. That's all right. <laughs> all right. What's it? What's the fee? What's that look like? Uh, you got a bleep thing? Uh, I, sure, I, I'll bleep it. Yeah, yeah, because I want to squeeze the next person. You know. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah, it's funny because uh, I mentioned the the word play because again, I've talked about that with my therapist, like the the importance of it. And again, that's a, a fine line thing because especially for avoidant people, you can go into the Peter Pan kind of archetype, right? Uh, you can use play as a way to avoid other things and other responsibilities. And we all know people or, you know, have been ourselves, uh, people who have resided in that play too much, you know, in an unhealthy way. You know, I know in Warhammer, loads of people who would do that in a way where the amount of time and energy they put into that hobby would be holding them back from other things like other adult responsibilities. There is a point where it becomes maladaptive, but it's also really important to not let yourself lose that as part of your life as an adult, because life is fucking miserable without an element of play in it and an element of creativity. And so I think it's probably a really common path through life for adults where they have that kind of symbolic pushing away of that as they assume adult responsibilities. And then they realize the importance of a healthy amount of it and they return to it. Right. You know, we, we were actually talking about something very similar on the last episode that we just did um, with John Kennedy, who works in the, the uh, tabletop gaming industry. Um, games being used as therapy and games being used um, even as a way for people to get a little bit of escape for mental health, Mm. even if they're on death row. There are death row inmates playing Dungeons and Dragons to relieve stress, essentially, Mm. and build a sense of community with other people who are on death row. Um, and also and, get a chance to be somebody else. Yeah, we brought and, up a lot know. in the episode. One shots only, huh? So oh. that was a bad <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Good job. <laughs> That's the kind of wild we'd like to see here. Yeah, there's a little gremlin in there still. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I did look up your human design. I just oh, nice. things at you. Okay, so your type is a projector. Okay. Mm-hmm. So projectors in this world are here to uh, solve problems and show others how to use their energy more efficiently. Okay. And your strategy and this, my strategy was the listen to the gut thing. Your strategy is an emotional authority, which means your like wise way of responding to things is not listen to your gut, but see what feelings are being brought up within you Mm -hmm. and like process those instead. Um, so a very similar idea, but, you know, a little different. Uh, the cool thing, I think, about a projector um, is their uh, strategy. Sorry, their strategy is wait for the invitation. Um, and their inner authority is the solar plexus, the the feeling thing. Sorry. Um, the, so the strategy is wait for the invitation. And that means that instead of, you know, <clears throat> trying to proactively solve problems 
your best strategy is to wait until someone approaches you with a problem and then you'll have like within you the solution to their issue, you know, mm. or something to provide. So that's interesting. It's interesting you say the solar plexus, cause I know maybe uh, it's sort of tangential or a different thing, but anxiety always radiates out of the solar plexus for me. I always get flashes of feeling from there. So Tim, prior to uh, streaming and actually maybe Still, I'm not exactly sure what you do. You write for a living, right? Yeah, yeah. I was a freelance copywriter before COVID, and then that fell apart, and I lost all of my income, and then I went into permanent. So I work for a corporation in financial services, doing uh, copywriting and like a big-budget app development stuff. Right on. So what what are your feelings? This is something we talk about like every episode, but what are your feelings on AI? Like, How is it affecting your world right now? Um, we're starting to see like pretty high up people crowdsource and uh, ask for initiatives and start to implement them. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm very reluctant to ever make calls on things I don't feel really informed about, and the amount of sensationalizing and uh, AI Terminator, you know, kind of tier talk that I'm sure has been talked about at length between you guys. If you talk about this all the time. Uh, makes it hard to sift out and have any certainty on stuff. There seems to be loads of cool low-hanging fruit. I think it's generally sensationalized in a negative way, but if it can do loads of efficiency, then there's loads of cool socially positive things that it could help with as well, especially when we have like an increasing amount of income inequality and social inequality but at the same time, all of this goddamn internet, then that speaks to loads of opportunities that it could have there. But I think that those don't get talked about as much as AI taking over the world, right? Right, yeah. Do you, have you used any chat GPT or anything like that? Um, yeah, yeah, I have used it. Um, it's pretty alarming. It, it's certainly a good time as a copywriter for me to get into a corporate position which is, you know, move, developing other skill sets and stuff because the the kind of writing I did when I kicked off was like SEO article writing and that's gone, you know. I mean, it's right. you, you can still do it, but, you know, you can click a button and in a second get something that I would charge X amount of money for and take X amount of time to do and right. people are too busy to validate that and, like, it's probably makes it harder for people just getting started who don't have anything else to offer so you know it's it's decimating industries right and that is definitely one of them well it's probably probably way harder to um do it successfully with with it being flooded you know google being flooded with results mm. it's interesting that one of the first things that ai kind of achieved I, my brother i talk about with this a lot and he's a he works in um, enterprise data architecture, so it's super related to his work, and he's very up to date on it in a, to a degree that I'm not. But he raised a good point. It's very interesting that one of the first things that AI achieved was art. Like you wouldn't think that, really, right? You know, in, I'm talking about like the the recent AI sort of uh, outbreak and uh, big shift. Like one of the first things that came out was the ability of AI to make creative stuff like artwork. 
it was very interesting to me that that was one of the first things that emerged compared to other things that you would assume might be a bit more like quantifiable and easy. The first thing that they achieved was this like really creative thing. Yeah, it's really strange. Like you would definitely think that it would be like, I don't know, I would say like computational or written would be like the first thing that would really pop up. But mm -hmm. yeah, when Dolly came out and then mid journey and stable diffusion, like, it's interesting that computers are so capable of processing like creative data mm -hmm. and then outputting, I don't know, like it, the whole like process of that is insane to me, especially with, like you said, like I would have expect ChatGPT to come out way before Dolly ever came out. Mm. You know, one of the things that I think is it really interesting from a, a moral and ethical perspective is the growing, well, if not immediate potential now of AI to provide relationship replacement kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, like I'm talking about that at length. Were you? Yeah. Well, it's like, is it ethically problematic if someone voluntarily um, purchases the use of an AI that, not only like mimics a relationship, but can be computed to have an awareness of their mental or physical health challenges, uh, their need for support in X, Y, and Z in a way that could actually help them. You know, it's like, if you make that transactional to that degree, are we going to end up with AI relationship services that can say, I'm at this place in my life, I don't have this, you know, you, could you be at a point where you could say, I'm isolated, I have this mental health condition, I need this, this helps me, I've got, you know, even a sheet of stuff from a GP, you know, in the UK, like a doctor saying, this would help me out. Can you create me a community of AIs that are aware of my mental health issues? One of them is a partner, and they all communally interact with me and support me. Like, what the hell would that look like? And would it be a bad thing? really crazy to think about yeah because like, really we think about it on a one-on-one -on -one, but like what if i'm like oh i'm isolated i want to buy a community i want to buy a discord server of 20 people all of them know about me all of them support me check in on me i get messages all the time asking how i am asking how my mental health is x y and z did i take the meds you know you could buy a community instead of just one person oh man that's so dangerous though too yeah. flip side of that is you know, creating a, a community for you to get lost in. Oh, right? for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm being a bit of devil's advocate. It's like fucking terrifying idea. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's a thing we, we think about AI as a single entity. We don't really in general discourse, think about the, the purchasing of a collective. Right. Right. Yeah. And ultimately if you were to purchase something like that, uh, you know, assuming it's not a one-time payment, it's probably a service and they're probably ultimately going to build into the AI's programming that oh, it ins it's incentivized to keep you there. Oh dude, I've like, I'm on dating apps and it's so horrible. <laughs> and you just gave me like the whole bumble, like pop up. Do you want a super swipe? You can buy two for five pounds. 
and you just gave me like the the discord plugin ai future of like do you want a mental health check-in you can get one message from the ai for five pounds like, <laughs> like a, a dating app but it's like ai community and you're paying for that interaction oh that's scary Oh, this is really scary to think about for sure because <laughs> this week has been the big week of autonomous agents in artificial intelligence. Like the the beginning of these highly specialized AIs that are essentially like the community you were just talking about for you know a program or a business you know, and how you'll have multiple of these and they'll be able to communicate with each other and make decisions with each other. And like, this is the beginning of what you were just saying. Like, I think about it like, yeah, this is like step one leading to like all of us living in the movie Her. No, I haven't seen that. You have to think about it from this other point of view too. So before that it hits consumer, it's going to hit business which means there goes the replacement of every single company's sales department. There goes the replacement of every business's HR department. There goes the replacement of marketing. Um, All of these things. Those three in particular, though, because those are the the ones that I feel like are really human-centric. You know, like sales and working with people and, you know, HR. Yeah, but if, but if there's groups of them working together in concert, you can achieve almost the exact same outcome. Well, like, just, I think uh, one person becomes a curator of things, right? Right. You know, right. you have a director who has a, a fleet of, of essentially an AI community doing doing the work for them and then you can have somebody like oversee right oh and <laughs> like just imagining like instead of having to deal with telemarketers having to deal with like a hive mind telemarketer you know one exactly. director vision well, harnessing the power of thousands of tiny little AIs <laughs> I was actually having this chat with someone on my stream not too long ago and we were talking about the shifting away of community I think I started talking about the lack of community like you don't have a local community a physical community and then that community has like coaches and resources and it takes a village to raise a child we were talking about that kind of thing and then we went to talking about how we've substituted community for the internet and so we have twitter and everything connecting us but it's not a community and that you know collectively gives you a feeling of like a, an absence and like an aching and absence that I think people are starting to get more tuned into now. They're like, something is fundamentally super wrong and there's a hole in me. Like I don't have an actual community. I have the internet and it's not the same thing. And then we're at this place now where we've already made a, a shit deal. We've, you know, traded physical, you know, villages and communities for the internet and it's got all of these negative repercussions, you know, it's uh, turning people against each other. There's like blind tribalism and combativeness. And now we're at the point where AI is coming in. So the thing that we've lost and replaced with, you know, which is the internet, 
is increasingly becoming a thing we can't even trust anymore on a very fundamental level. It's like we've made this terrible trade and the thing that we've traded it for is something that we now just fundamentally don't know is real anymore because AI is going to continue to influence AI video, AI chatbots and stuff. And it's like the thing that we paid such a high price for, the internet, is increasingly becoming something that you will have no faith in or ability to like reliably use anymore. Well, can I throw some like light on this bit of darkness mm-hmm. here? <laughs> um, you know what if it ends up being that we create all these little autonomous agents all these little ais you know and they all work in harmony with the voice assistant we carry with us you know maybe the bright side here is we won't need to spend time as much time on the internet because mm. finding what we want would be as simple as you know saying hey siri what's blah 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 or you know it'll be so built into our our living life are away from the computer life that we won't feel the need to be on the computer. And maybe that'll lead to, you know, more community, like physical community as a result. You know, there's, there's the dystopia view that we're all going to end up wearing, you know, Oculus riffs, you know, laying in our beds and, and not moving, but there's also the possibility that, you know, we just make all of this wearable and we end up, you know, being together physically more because we're not so attached to, you know, the internet and and all that it has to offer and the FOMO we feel of not sitting at our computers taking things in. So instead of an army of Discord bots uh, that pay attention to you, it's a AI um, girlfriend in an Android body who drags you outside. <laughs> I, I think the, the it's not really a flip side, but a, an aside to this is as humans we love creation and we with the internet we've essentially created a secondary world Mm -hmm. um and and the bleeding is the problem not so much that there is a second world but but that there's this joining of the two in a way that is intrusive um and I think to a degree, lots of people are finding that that push and feel to do some things that aren't digital. Um, yeah. But some people are going all in. Mm-hmm. Um, and and going all in on something like that is is the real concern. That's when we we wind up with the. Uh, the whole sitting in chairs with goggles, never moving kind of situ- that you know that Ready Player One this type situation, um, and I, I don't think there's a way that you know somebody pushes the button it makes a difference. I think we just have to. This is a wait and see type situation, and which is going to pull, which is going to pull more heavy. Um, I think just about everybody hopes that the real world kind of pulls heavier than the digital, but the digital is so addictive um, that, Mm. you know, people having to fight their addictive tendencies to stay away is going to be something that's really difficult. Um, No matter what generation you come from, there's, there's, it seems like there's an inevitability to it um, that is only combated by this old 
um, cultural idea of, yeah, we we should definitely go out to the cabin this weekend, you know, and have and sit by a fire and fish, right? Like, there there's this this. It's going to be interesting to see which wins. The thing that comes to mind for me is that we've created a setup that you can, you know, go down a lot of rabbit holes and talk about uh, as having a lot of various types of social issues and inequality. And uh, those have been become wider and more exaggerated uh, in a lot of different ways in a a lot of different countries now. And I think it's going to, my prediction is that it's going to get to the point where as AI capabilities become more powerful and people discover all of the different use cases for it, that we have created, uh, we live in a society meme, we, we've created a setup where we have so much disparity and so many different kinds of low-hanging fruit that people are going to naturally turn to AI to solve all of these problems because of how much of a cost saver it can be. And I think that's going to make it spread a lot faster and a lot more ubiquitous. Well, Tim, this has been so much fun, man. Thank you so much for coming on here today. Yeah, thank you. Uh, where can people find you? Tim the Sorcerer, Twitch, the last E is a three. That seems to be the best way to describe it. Right on. And you do have a Discord, correct? Yes, we do indeed. It's just Twitch at the moment, so I don't have social channels to shout out. But uh, you can find me on that platform. Okay. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of the Panda Pod. Uh, We'll be back next week. Peace. Bye. Later, everybody.